Grant, O Lord, that through the spoken word and through the written word, we may behold the living word, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you, you've heard something sort of really very interesting being said, or a, a talk or something, and you realise it's been completely extemporary, and nobody's ever written it down? What a pity that that down or recorded in some way or other. I wonder whether the disciples on the Emmaus Road, Cleopas and companion, whoever it was, some point later thought, gosh, it, that Bible study was absolutely wonderful. But I can't remember all of it. I wish, we, I wish we'd written it down immediately. We were so excited that it was Jesus, we rushed straight back. Um, to the disciples in Jerusalem and I'd like to put it back together well we're fortunate in our set of readings at the moment that St John has done precisely that with the readings that um, for most of the, the gospel readings over the Easter season from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17 known as the the upper room discourses or the farewell discourses or possibly a better title, How to Live Without Me by Jesus Christ. Now we've only got a portion of chapter 15 and in this bit of chapter in chapter 15 Jesus is explaining to us what Christian relationships are to be like, what the relationship of a Christian to his Lord, which is the vine and the branches, uh, which I expect you had last week. You did have that last week, did you? So we do a little examination to see whether anybody was listening. <laughs> the vine and the branches, the first part of chapter 15. The second bit that is actually our bit is our relationship to each other. In other words, the church. And the final bit, which in its infinite wisdom, the lectionary doesn't cover anywhere in the liturgical year, is the relationship of the, of the Christian to the world around them. There's a desperate need to actually be able to treat scripture as a whole and not just pick little bits out for the purpose of a lecture, but that's, a, that's another problem. But it's all about the church, the Christian and the church. And I've got a little quote here from C.S. Lewis. Now, he was a bit of an old fogey, even when he, even when he wrote this, so bear, bear that in mind. He gives a rather humorous description of what it felt like after his conversion in middle age to join the church and the discomfort he felt. The idea of churchmanship was to me wholly unattractive. But though I liked clergymen as I liked bears, I had as little wish to be in the church as in the zoo. It was to begin with the kind of collective, a wearisome get-together affair. Well, to me, religion ought to have been a matter of, of good Christian people playing, praying alone and meeting by twos and threes to talk of spiritual matters. And then the fussy, time-wasting botheration of it all. The bells, the crowns, the umbrellas, the notices, the bustle, the perpetual arranging and organising. Hymns are and were and are extremely disagreeable to me, and of all the instruments I liked and, and like, the organ the least. Well, the trouble is actually, that's, although that's one extreme, we need to ask ourselves, when we talk about the Christian and the church, what have we got on offer? 
there's any number of people it's not just sort of the middle-aged of a uh, C.S. Lewis's generation who might say that they might find it actually more to their taste but a lot of younger people look at it and say that's not for me Lewis once observed that what he disliked about hymns was being forced into singing bad Victorian doggerel well that's true of some of them there are some wonderful hymns but some of the other end of the worship things are along the lines of Jesus, my boyfriend, which is just as bad. We need to actually look at what is what it, what it is we're offering as church here. Because the command, and it is a command that Jesus is giving us, is that we are to love one another. In other words, within the church, we are to love one another. And it's both obligatory and it's sacrificial. That's in our reading. It's obligatory and it's sacrificial. But how can you make loving one another obligatory? How can you use the word love in the way in which we would use it and say you have to command this? Well, you need to recognize that Jesus and God would never command anything that cannot be delivered. So what Jesus is understanding by love here cannot be the way in which we frequently use it as an emotional response. There is nothing emotional about Christian love in that sense. We've been going through in morning prayer at one point uh, Deuteronomy, which is not the most favorite book of a lot of people, but there are some brilliant bits in it and here is God saying to the, to the people of Israel, it was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. It was because the Lord loved you. And that is the crucial bit. The love of God is not aroused by its object. The love of God is love in itself. Now that's wonderful because it means that it doesn't mean that we've got to be particularly attractive so that God will love me. I remember hearing somebody say rather, I hope rather flippantly, oh I better do such and such or he won't love me anymore. That's not God. God is love. And the fact that we might be attractive specimens or unattractive specimens that we might think highly of ourselves or, or think lowly of ourselves and think, well, nobody ever loves me. Uh, hang on a bit. Who died for you? That was the sacrificial love that's talked about here. You may not be a very nice person, but Jesus still dies for you and for me. So how do we define that sort of love? I was at a conference a few years ago uh, where there was a Christian psychotherapist who offered a definition that had been worked on with groups of other therapists. And the definition that was offered was that Christian love was the accurate identification and delivery of another person's needs. The accurate identification and delivery of another person's needs. Well, so we'll park that in your subconscious somewhere and see if that can make that work for you. Because the love of God then and the love within the church is not constrained by race or by gender or by sexuality 
It's not constrained by mental ability or stability. It's not constrained by whether you smell good or whether you don't. And we have plenty of those around. It's not constrained by any of these things, but only by the fact that God loves you. And so that's what we share. The boys' camps that I became a Christian on uh, was run by a man called David Tryon, who's uh, actually the minister of Stamford Free Church. Uh, it, it tended to take sort of uh, boys from grammar schools, mainly over the north of England. And I was involved for many years, uh, was a camp officer uh, for a long time as well. And I remember, telling, I remember him telling the story of how he got interviewed once by a reporter from one of the religious preppers who came to see him. And he must have come at a time when um, our boys, the boys, we weren't normally pretty scruffy. <laughs> uh, but he looked at the, the, the boys there and said, well, why, why are you wasting your time with this sort of, uh, with this riffraff and not, not ones that are actually going to do something more in life? And David Tryon was incandescent. How dare you call someone riffraff for whom Christ died. He had implicitly embodied within his own culture and his own way of life that definition of the love of God. But it was its own object. Well, I said it was obligatory. It's also sacrificial. This is the love that one would lay down one's life for one's friends. And there's more on sacrifice later in the last half of, um, of John 15 that we don't really deal with. But notice that he talks about lays down one's life for one's friends. Because Jesus then says, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm calling you friends. It's a change. The servant, you might read the employee. Because the master doesn't share his plans with the servants or the employees. But Jesus said, I am, I have shared with you what my father has called me to do. And that's what Jesus is saying to us as well. Because the boundaries of the church include all, St. Paul was particularly good on this to point out, that there are no boundaries to where the kingdom of God may be. I wish to call you my friends because I wish to share with you what the father is to do. Because as the Father has sent me, so have I sent you. And I'm giving you a new commandment. We've heard about this. It's a commandment that replaces one that we've probably all grown up with and never really thought to, to challenge. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is saying that's not good enough. You shall love your neighbor as I have loved you, not as yourself. Your standards, my standards, aren't good enough. The command is to love as I have loved you. And of course we know that that has led to sacrifice for very many. But the other side of that command is that the Savior will share his vision with us. And that when we are loving as we are supposed to, then our prayers will be answered because actually we could do nothing other than pray with the Father through the Spirit. We shall know then what to pray. If you like, then prayer works. And how? Back to the beginning. Love one another. So, you've got no choice. We had to love, but the Holy Spirit will enable us. 
there will be sacrifice in one way or another for some. There was something on the radio actually this morning about uh, a Roman Catholic uh, Vatican Curia official who found him abruptly ejected from his job because he came out as being gay. That's not quite the same as losing your life. But there are little sacrifices. I was reading recently of a Christian medical missionary in an area who said we're being vilified by the middle classes in this country for all that we do, and yet our clinics are full to overflowing with the poor, with the suffering, with the downtrodden that don't get ministered to by the state. We must be doing the right thing because we're suffering for Christ's sake. St. John, in old age, lived in Ephesus, so we believe, and in great old age, he'd be wheeled out into a church meeting every so often or carried in. And people would say, oh, you know, sort of Brother John, sort of, being a, you know, Holy John, whatever. Uh, please give, a, give us a message. And all he would say was, my little children, love one another. And every time he said the same thing. And it might be because he thought, until you've actually got that message, you're not really the church because there isn't anything else that's worth knowing. Let me finish with um, a poem that was found written on the wall of a room in a mental asylum after it was cleared out because its occupant had died. Turns out that actually it's got a much um, older pedigree than just that, but this is about the turn of the last century. Could we the ink with ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the 